So one of the two smallest books in the New Testament, 2 John. Last week we finished 1 John. Today we jump into 2 John. We'll only be here for two weeks, all right, because it's short. And after that, we'll hit the shortest book in the New Testament, 1 John, uh, 3 John. So I want you to imagine this church has been very blessed in a lot of ways. Um, you've had some great pastors. Rand Randy McFerrin. I love that brother. He was here for a short while. Barry Jeffries. He's a good man. Loving, tender guy. Harold Best. Man, salt of the earth guy, right? Just You love Harold Best when you meet him. Imagine, that's a good pedigree. Imagine this pedigree. Your church was founded by Paul. <laughs> Pastored by Paul. Timothy came and labored there for a little while. And then it comes time to get a new pastor. Well, let's go with John the beloved disciple. How about that? That's a pretty good pedigree, right? That's, pretty, that's a pretty good from founded by Paul, Timothy serving there, John pastoring later in his life. Man, that's a lineup. But this church had some significant difficulties, didn't it? We saw some of those as we walked through 1 John. There had been a heart-wrenching split in this church. A split that was caused because there were certain false teachers. They came, and they were calling into question truths about who Jesus really is. They denied what the Bible said concerning Jesus. His divinity and humanity. His lordship. They were denying truths that the Bible taught about Jesus, about the, the apostles' doctrine about Jesus. They were distorting who Jesus Christ really is. They are faithful members of that congregation, and they held fast to the apostles' teaching. They believed what Paul had taught them, and what Timothy had taught them, and what John had come and taught them. They did not follow the false teachers. But a split occurred, a church split. First John chapter 2, remember, we talked about, we saw it there. Can you imagine how discouraging that one had to have been? Imagine just the context of John writing these letters. And he comes back to these themes over and over again. So in 1 John, for this church, he had told them, hey, true Christians, they believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus. And true Christians, they love the brothers and sisters in Christ. And true Christians, they love living out the commands that God gives to us. He gave us those diagnostic tests, and we saw them as we went through 1 John, so that the reader, the hearer, this church here in Ephesus, they could examine their own hearts. 2 John and 3 John, he picks up those same themes, and maybe you recognize today some of those same themes as we read it, but it's very pastoral, very tender, very encouraging. He, 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 the same themes he addressed in 1 John, he picks up again. This hurting church, this beleaguered church. He tells this church, you are loved by God. 
and you're loved by me. You're blessed by God. Mercy. He, he encouraged that they have been obedient to God in some measure. So today, I just want us to see, we're, we're just going to walk through the first four verses, and I want you to see four words of encouragement that John gives to these Christians, these Christians who are under immense pressure and trial in the middle of the, this battle and war of faith that is going on in the church. So verse 1, you're going to see John, John's tender words of address to them. Verse 2, you're going to see um, John's instruction that Christian love is built on the truth of Jesus, his person and his work. Verse 3, the third thing, you're going to see John's blessing. And then the fourth verse, you're going to see John celebrating that there are some in this congregation who are walking in the truth. So let's walk through those four areas of encouragement that John speaks to these, this church in Ephesus. So first off, notice the tender words of address. They are beautiful, aren't they? Verse 1. This is just a great salutation. This is John's church, right? This is, uh, and you expect the apostle of love to write a tender salutation, right? The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. So he's reminding this beleaguered church, this struggling church, this church that's been through it in Ephesus, this church that's been planted by Paul, he's reminding them, God loves you, and I love you too. God loves you. You're loved, and I love you. And all true brothers and sisters love you. So imagine again, imagine their circumstance, right? You're in Ephesus. You're a member of this church. Church is planted by Paul. Not John Wesley. Not Calvin. Not Luther. Not Charles Spurgeon. Not Billy Graham. Paul. He started your church. Paul's your founding pastor. You've given up everything to follow Jesus Christ. And you've seen friends martyred. You've seen husbands and wives taken off and made to serve in salt mines and had to leave their children. And you, your church, you've taken care of those orphans. You've provided for them. You cared for them. You loved those orphans. You stood against the world for professing the name of Jesus Christ. And in God's mercy and in God's love, God's upheld you. But then something's happened. A division has come in. Schism. A split. People have come into your church and they're teaching things and they're saying, hey, we've got truth that the apostles didn't know about. We've got truths about the Holy Spirit no one's ever heard, but you're going to hear it from us. And they were, their teachings, yeah, I, we've never heard anything quite like that. In fact, these teachings, that's not what John says. That's not what Paul said. And these false teachers, they lead people astray. 
They lead some astray. And when they lead them astray, families are fractured. And friends are divided. And eventually, there's a church split. And church splits are hard and ugly and painful. Some of you have been through church splits. And you think, man, I used to serve side by side with that person, and now we can't even pray together? It's hard. What's going on? You've been standing and witnessing for Christ in the midst of a pagan culture. And that pagan culture, they thought you were strange before, but now it's not just that you're strange, they mock you. They say, oh yeah, you're a new creation, aren't you? (laughs) Some kind of new creation you are. You say you love God and you love the Spirit, you can't even love one another. What's going on with y'all? You ever heard somebody say that? Oh, we want to be like the early church? (laughs) Or you think the church splits just happened in the 21st century? No! They were here. That's not a current thing. So imagine how depressing that would have been for these true Christians who stood for the truth in this congregation. Now they're being mocked by pagans. You can't even get along with your own kind. Oh, you think you're the kingdom of God? Man, this thing, y'all are fighting terribly. How can you say that Jesus really makes a difference in people's lives? Doesn't seem to make a difference in y'all's lives. This, you can just imagine how this beleaguered church felt. And here comes John. And John says, from the elder. Just pause there, right? Here's, here's the apostle John. He doesn't even use his name. He just simply identifies himself as the elder. All right? I'm your pastor. I'm your shepherd. I'm writing to you, dear chosen lady, and, and children whom I love in the truth. I'm your pastor. I love you. And it, it, just in that part, three, three words of encouragement, right? Did you notice in the salutation what he says? He describes this church as what? The elect lady. Chosen of God. That's that's the language here. This elect lady. Chosen by God. So she's beleaguered. She's being persecuted. She's People on the outside are persecuting her. Heresies have been ripping her apart from the inside. False teachers have been troubling her. There's been a division between you and people that you love. But in God's eyes... You're the bride. He chose you from the foundation of the world. He sought her. He bought her. You know the song we sing. The church is one foundation. The church is one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is the new creation by spirit and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. John's saying, that's who you are. That's who you are. Elect lady, that's who you are. Chosen lady, that's who you are. In God's eyes, you are dear. Yeah, I know you're beleaguered. I know you're worn out. I know it's been painful. But this is who you are in God's eyes, church in Ephesus. That's who you are, church in Danville. You're loved. That's who you are. 
It's beautiful images, isn't it? And all through the New Testament, you see this kind of language too. So Peter can talk to the church, and he's writing, he says, to she who dwells in Babylon. There is actually just a pattern of naming beautiful things with feminine words. This is what we do. The church is identified as a she because she's the bride of Christ. The book of Revelation picks up that same language again. She is this chosen lady. She is this elect lady. So she's not just chosen, she's a lady. This chosen lady and her children, she's beautiful God. She may not feel like it. There's been troubles in the congregation. She's been doing battle. She's been in the midst of war. You don't feel beautiful in war. You feel grimy. You feel worn out. But you're beautiful in God's eyes. Remember the rest of the words to uh, Church's One Foundation? Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she awaits the consummation of peace forevermore. And that last line, she on earth has union with God the three in one. In the middle of the war, there's the sweet communion and union with a God who loves you and has saved you by his grace. There's this paradox, right? And that John's dealing with that. Here's this beleaguered church. She's distressed. She's tired. She's troubled. She's at war. And she's a bride. She's a beautiful bride of Christ. She's the one Christ chose, and his, his delight is in her. See that paradox? Oh, what an encouragement. Yes, there is battle here, but you are this chosen lady, and God loves you. And John doesn't stop there. He wants them to know this, too. And I love you. It's not just that God loves you. I love you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they love you. All true believers, they love you. Whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth. So John's saying, God loves you, but I love you. Imagine that. I love you. You need to hear that sometimes, right? This church needs to hear that. He's not saying, I love your building. I, I love you, church in Ephesus. He's not meaning, I love the sanctuary area where you be. Oh, it's so grand. It's not, it's not what he's talking about. In fact, they probably didn't have a structure. It was them. He loved them. He loved the people of God. He says, I love you. Not only that, all true believers, they love you. So you may feel isolated, hated in the world, hated. There may be troubles from within. But I love you. He's reminding them of the love of God. He's reminding them of mutual Christian love. And so we'll just pause there. Christian, we have a responsibility to love one another, don't we? And that needs to be emphasized. We have this responsibility to encourage true brethren in, in, the, in the faith. And to encourage them in their stand for the truth. This church in Ephesus, they had not been divided because they were mean-spirited or narrow-minded. 
They have been divided because they were committed to Jesus Christ alone. So when people came in and they started talking about Jesus, but it was a Jesus that was different from what was in the Bible, they said, no, no, we don't want anything to do with that Jesus. We love the Jesus of the Bible. We love the Jesus of the Scriptures. We love the Jesus that Paul taught us about, that John has taught us about. That's who we love. And for that, they're divided, and they're humiliated, and they suffer. And so John's encouraging them, right? We need to encourage one another. All the more encouraging one another as the day draws near. It's one of the reasons we meet together and, and don't forsake assembling ourselves together. We've got an opportunity, one with another, to love in this hard time, in this difficult day, to encourage one another in the reality of the love of God for us in Christ and in our love. That we love those who rest in trust in Jesus Christ. As he's offered to us in the gospel, we love one another. We're part of the same family. There's this mutual responsibility that we have, not only to encourage one another here. I hope you do encourage one another. As you greeted one another today, I hope you just didn't talk about how many points the Wildcats scored. But I hope you encouraged one another. Prayed for you this week. You've been on my heart this week. I know last time we talked, we said some things we shouldn't have. I, forgive me. I love you. That's, you know, that's just a great greeting. I love you. Men, don't get creeped out. Tell one another you love each other. There's a responsibility that we have to encourage one another. And not just here, though. You encourage other churches that are faithful and true, and serving the Lord. So a couple of weeks ago on a face uh, call, video call, whatever, with Roberto in Nicaragua. Yeah, we had things we wanted to talk about, but part of what we want to do, just encourage one another. You're being faithful there. We're being, we want your prayers because we want to be faithful here, and we're praying for you as you're faithful there, and you're a blessing to us to see your faithfulness. Encourage other churches in faithfulness to the gospel. Because there is a swelling tide that would sweep away faithfulness for popularity, for peace and quiet, for cultural acceptance. So you encourage brothers and sisters in the faith to be faithful, and of your love towards them and prayers towards them. Second thing, notice that Christian love is rooted in the truth. And that truth is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't just stop telling them they're loved. He reminds them that Christian love is rooted in the truth. Christian love is not indifferent to the truth. Okay? He says, I love you. In the truth. He doesn't mean, I really do love you. I truly, truly love you. He's not like those, remember a couple Sunday nights ago when we talked about very false witness, yet people say things like, no, I'm telling you the truth here. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I love you 
in the truth. I, we share the same gospel, the same hope in Christ. We share a love of the truth. This is where my love for you is grounded and rooted. God's love in Christ is what we share together and that makes him love them. He doesn't love them just because they're naturally more likable than the other people who left. He doesn't love them because they look like him or talk like him or act like him. They've got the same background as him. No, 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 no. That's not why he loves them. He loves them because they share the same truth, the same faith in Jesus Christ. So notice how he puts it in verse 2. For the sake of the truth. So I love you because of that truth. It abides in us and will be with us forever. You know, there's never been a Christian in the world who took a stand for truth that's been, that hasn't been called unloving. It comes with the territory. You stand for truth, someone's going to call you unloving. But John says, no, no, Christian. They may call you unloving. But I want you to know that's the reason I love you. Because you will stand for the truth. Love is not, love without truth isn't Christian love. Our love is centered around the truth. There's this shared uh, preciousness about the gospel message of God sending his only begotten son. We share that. And it brings us together in the same family. And it Promotes love among us. These Christians, these beleaguered, discouraged Christians, he loves them because of the truth. I want you to know this. You love the same Savior as me. You love the same word of God as me. You love the same truth as me. I love you. So we need to be doing that more and more as brothers and sisters who love the same truth. Christian love. We have to self-consciously make sure that our love is grounded in the truth. Not just because we get along. Not just because we both like to fish. Or we got these kind of things in common. But I love you because we share the same precious gospel. This is what binds our hearts together. That's, that's, that's how John's love was grounded. That is how our love should be grounded. That should be first and foremost in our hearts. Then, notice his benediction. This precious word of blessing. Most of the time, benedictions in the New Testament sound something like this. Grace, mercy, and peace to you. But this one's a little bit different. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Us. Well, well, it's interesting. Why does he do that? To show God's church is blessed with God's blessing together with all believers. God's church is blessed with God's blessing. And all true believers in Jesus Christ share in this blessing. We share it one with another. Where's this blessing come from? doesn't come from John. He's not some kind of like Pope giving out blessings. It doesn't come from the church. It's not from within them. 
This blessing comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the only way this blessing can be had, right? It's the only way. So the congregation has been, they, the split has occurred because people have rejected Jesus Christ that the Scripture speaks about. They created another Jesus that was not what the Bible talked about. And Paul, Paul says, no, the only place you find this blessing is in Jesus of the Bible. This blessing resides in Christ alone. So, We'll just pause there. If you're not in Christ, there's no blessing for you outside of Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel. There's only damnation. There's only hell. There is no gracious, saving blessing for you outside of Christ. You will not be able to be good enough, kind enough, sweet enough, Diligent enough, you won't be. This blessing is only found in God through Christ. Come to Christ today. Trust him. Look to him. But this congregation, people, re- people have rejected this congregation. But hey, no, no. This blessing is from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. And it's just for you. Blessings on you from God God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. Imagine this beleaguered church. They have been isolated and uh, uh, suffering because of their stand for the truth about Jesus Christ. And now, sweet words, Jesus' blessing rests on you. He alone can give this blessing. Those who reject him, They don't know this blessing. They'll never have it. Then look at the last verse, verse 4. He's celebrating, right? That there are members in this congregation, through all they've been through, they are living out their faith. He's glad, right? He's celebrating it. This beleaguered church... This congregation, there's people in this congregation through all they've been through with the church split. They're growing in the faith. They're growing. They're not bitter. They're living the truth out. So for John, truth is not something that you just profess. Truth is something to be lived out. You live it out. You don't just talk about the truth. Say you believe the truth. You live the truth out. Doctrinal truth planted in the hearts by the Spirit always leads to a life that's affected by that truth. Always does. And notice John here, as a good pastor, he's celebrating to say, hey, you're, you're growing in the faith. You're walking in the truth. He's celebrating that. Hey, after these words of blessing, I want to tell you, it is so encouraging to see you walking in in, in the truth, growing in faith, growing in grace. I see the fruit of the Spirit in your lives. Despite all that's happened, I see the fruit of the Spirit there. It makes John's heart glad. These people in this congregation, they're growing. They're growing in the faith. They're, they're living the truth out. They're walking in truth. 
But do you notice the very poignant word there in verse 4 too? Did you notice that? Look at it with me. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. See that word some? What's wrapped up in that word some? I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth. It's a little stab of pain, isn't it? He's, he's, he's rejoicing to see that, that they're, they're uh, cele- he's celebrating that they are faithful members there and they're walking the truth. But some of them aren't. Some of them aren't. Every true pastor aches because some of them aren't walking in the truth. By mentioning this, right? We should be congregationally burdened for one another. Now, John lays this out. This, this, there's some who are walking in the truth. That means there are some who are not walking in the truth. We should be burdened one for another. Are we walking in the truth? We need to be praying for one another to be walking in the truth. We need to be growing in that way. We need to be encouraging one another to walk in the truth. How, I just, how are you at that? About encouraging Christians to walk in the truth. I mean, if you don't do it, it's going to feel awkward, right? I just want to encourage you to be faithful this week. It's hard to say that sometimes. And the devil, with all of his temptations and our pride, with all uh, our flesh, with all of its pride, we're like, I don't want to sound too preachy. I'm not talking about being preachy. I'm talking about encouraging people to grow as Christians. This is the great commandment, to make disciples of all nations. It's discipling one another, to see one another grow in the faith. How are you at that? Friends, this is why we need to be accountable one to another. There are no lone rangers. There are no no drifters. We need to... We're part of a family. Why? Because we want to see one another growing in the faith. And I want to be, we want to ask each other and press one another. And and I want to come alongside of you. And you should want to come alongside of me. That we would do that. That we would walk in the truth. And if I stop walking in the truth, call me to the carpet. This word, some. There are some who are walking in the truth. What would be said of Emmanuel Baptist Church? What side of that division would you follow on? Would you be on the some are walking in the truth? Or would you be on that some are not? How would, you, how would John describe you in these categories? There are some walking in the truth. Are you one of those? Or are you one of the others? There are some who merely attend. There are some who don't even do that. There are some that are here every week. 
There are some who just do their time and think nothing of it afterward. There are some who are walking the wrong way. They're not walking in the truth. They're walking in lies. There's no commitment to Christ in your life at all outside of external religious Phariseeism. Is that you? Or do you walk in the truth? I pray that's the case for us. I pray you are. I pray we all do that more and more. And I pray that we would encourage one another in these very things that we see the Apostle John encouraging this church in Ephesus about. Every member walking in the truth. Wouldn't that be beautiful? What a display of love. Yeah, there have been splits in the past, yeah. But man, imagine every member walking in truth. We should be burdened about each other walking in the truth. You know what? That would have given John great joy if every member was walking in the truth. It would also give great joy to our elder brother. the head pastor, Jesus Christ, our Savior, if we were all walking in the truth. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, let us hear these encouragements. We need to hear the encouragements of your word. Let our hearts delight in them. Let our hearts be challenged that we would be faithful day after day to live as your children, walking in the truth just as we have been commanded by our Heavenly Father. Help us to this end. Lord, for those who are outside of Christ, even now, turn their eyes towards Jesus. May they trust in him and in him alone. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.